section ten of the rose-colored world and other fantasies this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. read by angelique g campbell february two thousand nineteen the rose-colored world and other fantasies by ethel mary brodie fra samanetta fra samanetta the very name suggested sanctity holiness a wonderful life of self-renunciation and self-renunciation it was had the world but known but the world never suspected the pathos of human nature which lay hidden behind the act so often a fine piece of statuary is lightly passed without thought of the pain or care it cost the sculptor so the tragedies of life are acted out secreting the truth behind smiles and silence surroundings and change bras amanetta possessed celtic and italian blood in his veins and this colored his olive cheeks his soft chestnut hair and his large dark expressive eyes and this too accounted for his sudden burst of passion and strange silences in him flowed all the artistic instincts and the love of beauty of the italian combined with a dour determination and stern self-control altogether scotch from his mother he inherited and halts her which proclaimed her florentine ancestor of noble birth and high position his father came of a race born to win and conquer perched on a mountainside overlooking loch tay stood the castle moor far beneath it lay the lake like a moonstone in its bower of emerald and amethyst mountains shimmering beneath skies grim and clouded with occasional glimpses of blue sky sometimes a wild storm swept over the loch leaving it a seething mass of white caps and flying foam and it lay a mirror lightly quivering with every breath which descended from the mountain heights on every side the pinnacles looked proudly down into the bosom of the lake giants miraging their eternal pride in its ripples ben lawyers stern and grand rose high above the others and still loftier ben moore lifted its haughty peaks into the clouds sometimes when the flower season luxuriated on the levels below the mountain giants still retained their snowy helmets sparkling in the sunshine like the mail of long dead chieftains myriad mist trailed around the peaks and drifted far into the vales bending their softness with the massed patches of purple heather and the purple heather was varied by the thick copsewood creeping down to the water's edge in the spaces of pasture-land and the sylvan glades stealing up the mountainside the ravines crowded their thickets among the boulders and cliffs and then vanished in the hundred windings and breaks of the mountains and great gray precipices and jutting rocks and barren marshland contrasted in their dull desolation with the bright luxuriant green of the woods and the rich amethyst heather of the mountains here on the mountainsides the highland cattle roamed and strayed through the pastures for food the wild grouse sought safety amid the heather and bracken and in the glens were heard the free melodies of birds and burn harmonizing the music of tumbling waters and trilling songsters the lash of the waves below and the soft of the wind in the trees far down the loch toward the village of kenmore a green islet nestled on the bosom of the water 
among its trees still crumbled away the ruins of an ancient priory of the twelfth century lending a touch of romance to the scene of a dreamy nature simon moore developed in natural surroundings which only intensified his passionate poetic nature his father the elder simon moore was the wealthy laird of castle moore a fulsome high-coloured man given to sudden outburst of temper so surly as scottish skies outburst that vanished in months of silent reserve a nature not unknown in scotland lady moore who had grown up under softer summer skies was emotional self-willed and fastidious and devoted to the roman catholic faith so the little simon moore grew up in a varied mental atmosphere sometimes whirled off his feet by his mother's religious emotionalism sometimes terrified by his father's fierce outburst of temper one rare bright day the sun danced over the ivy turrets and battlements of castle moor casting freakish shadows into the courtyard below it stole into the avenue of limes falling in rays through the branches as it glanced through the stained windows of cathedrals on the mausoleum where lay generations of the lairds of castle moor it melted away in softened beams and it poured over the half-dozing simon as he rested his long limbs on a bank of heather up on the mountainside drinking in the beauties of the scenery and quoting to himself the fine descriptive lines which burns wrote over the chimney in the parlour of the inn of kenmore here posy might wake her heaven-taught lyre and look through nature with creative fire here to the wrongs of fate half reconciled how ardently he hoped he might some day write lines as fine but his happy meditations came to an abrupt end as a shower of rowan berries flew about his ears and a voice imitated after him in mocking tones here to the wrongs of fate half reconciled misfortune's steps might wander wild and disappointment in these lonely bounds find balm to soothe her bitter rankling wounds here heart-struck grief and then the sweet but mock solemn voice broke into a loud silvery laugh and the voice exclaimed saucily how lugubrious simon moore did not look around but he knew that a pair of nut-brown eyes crowned by a mass of shining auburn hair were peeking at him from behind a cairn which was not far away and which also was sheltered by a rowan tree only too familiar to himself and to the nut-brown eyes simon did not answer so the voice proceeded here heart-struck grief might heavenward stretch or scan an injured worth please don't bark say simon interrupted a sensitive half-pained expression coming into his eyes which quickly passed into one of sternness then he did glance around and meet the pair of eyes looking merrily and quizzically at him from over the kern an injured worth forget and pardon that is yourself simon i suppose quoting poetry on the top of a mountain with no one to appreciate you or it and berksy laughed again simon was silent you lazy indolent creature exclaimed she coming out from behind the cairn and sitting down on the stump of a larch tree what are you doing wasting these precious hours snoring on a mountain top 
i'm not snoring replied simon keeping strictly to facts and looking serious perchance not lazybones but you are certainly wasting time quoting poetry to the clouds or to the grouse or perhaps you were quoting to those great lions over there and berksy pointed mischievously to the long-maned highland cows which were browsing in a pasture below i'm not wasting time indignantly protested simon not overpleased with berksy's mode of teasing yes you are insisted the girl no i'm not answered he very determined you are i'm not dead silence simon pouted and looked resentful while berksy brimmed over with fun and innocence well what were you doing anyway she persisted teasingly thinking about what inquired berksy you of course sarcastically from simon why me of course from berksy imitating him because that's what you wanted me to say and simon dug his heel into the heather no i didn't protested berksy yes you did silence again simon moore hated that kind of teasing oh well i don't care exclaimed the offended girl tossing her head i guess ormelie mcalphin will be more pleasant than you are to-day and she made as if she were going to trip away down the mountainside simon assumed a smile but a thundercloud gathered inwardly all right give ormelie my love said he with affected indifference i won't snapped berksy haughtily they don't laughed simon silence again now who's in a temper quizzed simon it is your fault said berksy feeling much hurt simon shook his head and said nothing i was only teasing you continued berksy in an injured tone queer kind of teasing i should think suggested simon a trifle sarcastically oh you don't understand it declared the offended girl no said simon with a laugh simon did understand it to a certain degree but he was not going to give in now nor do you understand me indignantly from berksy injured innocence put in simon well that is less conceited than injured worth returned she quickly simon's eyes flashed but they softened a little as they fell on the cairn beneath the rowan tree which he and berksy had piled together in declaration of eternal friendship a sort of biblical mizpah you're not very complimentary berksy he said gently i don't care from the girl think before you speak little girl simon suggested quietly thank you said berksy haughtily but i'm not asking for advice all right returned simon thinking clouded thoughts of ormelie mcalphin i am going now declared berksy firmly to ormelie inquired simon unable to resist a covert effort at scorn for berksy was hurt this time in a woman's unreasonable way and she walked away bristling with pride like an offended princess and simon gazed after her his heart in his eyes if berksy could only have seen but it was too late how he loved that little auburn-haired girl it was partly her fault 
and partly his like all youthful lovers quarrels they were passionate proud children these two and that was how ormelie mcalpham first began to play a part in berksy's life love is a sensitive thing and in its early expression is easily offended simon still lay on the bank of heather stern and self-contained but albeit with a heavy heart he watched the little figure disappear in the glens below as berksy hurried away in the direction of the village of killen and as the trees closed behind her and hid the girl from his view he murmured to himself with an odd feeling of presentiment here to the wrongs of fate half reconciled misfortune's lightened steps might wander wild and disappointment in these lonely bounds find balm to soothe her bitter rankling wounds here heart-struck grief might heavenward stretch her scan and injured worth forget and pardon simon moore hesitated and then he added slowly but firmly woman but this time no berksy heard him berksy loved simon with all her heart and soul but simon was an odd boy there were days when he was the essence of silence and so cold berksy's naturally exuberant loving nature shrank from these tragic silences they wounded her she knew not why and try as she would to pull simon out of these deep fathomless seas of silence it was well-nigh impossible at times berksy had not yet learned that simon moore was a poet and needed a poet's license of silence and quiet and simon had yet to learn that berksy was a great actress in embryo and needed emotional excitement so practical ormelie mcalpin with his mediocre mind and his inability to comprehend anything finely sensitive or poetic beyond his father's huge wine business acted as go-between with these two undeveloped gifted children as she wandered through the glens homeward toward killen berksy's thoughts were sad and lonely ones sad indeed but so proud as they were sad berksy inherited all the sensitive pride of a noble scotch family and when her pride was hurt she was almost as unyielding as simon moore himself unyielding to the point of sacrificing her happiness even the dull music of the rivers lockie and dockhart as they merrily rushed through the glens and over the mossy rocks of their various ways to the loch tay could not make her forget the melancholy dirge of her own heart even the inspiring beauty of lofty peak and wooded crag and the vast green slopes and the peace of the far-off crofter's cottage with its lichen-clad walls and its blue-gray smoke curling among sycamore trees even this sweet peace of all nature could not lessen the war with love in berksy's soul so the afternoon closed on the mountainside and over the glens in a heavily clouded sky the precursor of a stormy dark night and the sun hid away from berksy and simon among the mists and the crags seven years later when simon had begun to win his laurels in the great world of london berksy met him at the salon of a great lady simon moore's poetry had created a deep impression in literary circles and he was the lion of the hour the same curiously silent simon with his sudden flashes of humour 
the world's gracious reception of himself and his poems had carried simon off his feet for a while and he was suffering from a painful tendency to conceit as a consequence it was a magnificent room where they met the walls were empanelled with cherry satin and mirrors the ceiling gleamed a mass of gilt stucco work surrounding wonderful frescoes of cupids and psyches the air drowsed with the fragrance of carnations and lilies gay throngs kept passing in and out and in the distance above the merry hum of human voices could be heard the strains of music and the sounding measures of the dance to-night simon was in one of his proud silent unresponsive moods of course berksy was as radiantly gay bubbling over with fun and mischief and the joy of life a happy innocent girl when simon moore entered the room berksy was standing near the door in a flimsy gown of palest green a bunch of rowan berries nestling at her bosom and a few peeping among the restless curls of her dark auburn hair berksy was watching for the poet had he but known and she gave him a glowing smile bright enough to have encouraged any ordinary man but simon was made of a different mould from the average and acted accordingly he returned berksy's smile with a cold bow after a little chat with his hostess he drifted across the room to an alcove filled with palms and softened lights where he stood silently gazing out over hyde park pray what was berksy to do berksy watched him a moment and then divining his mood started to flirt irrepressibly with ormelie mcalphin who was also a guest of the evening the latter not adverse to such excitement with so beautiful a woman with her soft nut-brown eyes responded freely and a trifle carelessly berksy haughty and mischievous was bent on annoying the poet as for ormelie mcalphin he was thoroughly indifferent as to her reason for flirting but as thoroughly enamoured of her beauty simon's eyes wandered among the trees of the park watching the sleepy flicker of the many lights then they sought the thoroughfare below where buses and hansoms clattered past and motors flashed by a few pedestrians appeared and vanished into the darkness of night like rats seeking their holes some glancing up at the lighted windows of the stone mansion and stopping to listen to the music and the dancing curious or envious simon's thoughts were in the highlands up on the mountainside by the cairn he and berksy had piled together in the sweet days of long ago again he saw the rowan tree massed with blood-red berries and felt the heather beneath his feet again he heard the melody of burn and bird and smelt the distilled fragrance of the heath the bracken and the firs again the wondrous wooded scene lay before him the outstretching lake embosomed among the hills and then berksy's mocking laugh broke upon his ears and the voice of ormelie mcalphin a stern expression came into simon's grey-blue eyes and he repeated under his breath in a whispered tone of passionate feeling here to the wrongs of fate half reconciled misfortune's lightened steps might wander wild and disappointment he broke off abruptly angrily the colour mounting hotly to his face his hands clenched hard and turning on his heel he sought the ballroom and berksy though his soul was full of passionate rebellion outwardly he was the same evenly poised self-contained simon moore berksy had danced several times with ormelie mcalphin and had promised herself for supper with him when simon came quietly silently to her 
and asked for a dance certainly how many she asked thrilling at his very presence oh a couple said simon moore coolly even yet simon moore would have slain himself with his own jewelled dirk before he would have given in to berksy or let her know how passionately he loved her he would have hidden his jealousy under his claymore rather than she should ever know the regret her loss might mean to him berksy's eyes flashed with sudden fire at his cold answer she had kept several for him but quickly consulting her programme she replied restraining herself bravely for she felt inclined to cry with disappointment i am so sorry simon but i only have one left only one he inquired gravely only one she responded biting her lip on the little fib and how many have you given to armerly with a forced smile asked simon as many as he asked for came berksy's quick reply challenging him with her saucy nut-brown eyes your programme otherwise interrupted simon with an inscrutable scotch smile berksy maintained a haughty silence you seem very fond of ormerly mcelfin simon suggested curling his lip a little and what if i am exclaimed berksy tossing her head saucily all right simon answered with assumed indifference well and why should you care laughed berksy a heartache behind the question i don't care he answered and simon moore could use that phrase in a way that would have frozen the heart of a statue much less such a sensitive one as berksy's oh is that so commented berksy rather painfully silence again but simon knew that he had hurt her he had a deliberate way of doing such things a contrast to berksy's sudden warm sometimes erratic impulses what makes you so interested in ormelie mcalphin she asked presently with apparent lightness a brotherly interest berksy really how kind of you simon with a sudden lifting of her eyebrows silence again the poet keeping a sphinx-like poise balanced and cool the woman quivering from a fresh wound which she bravely hid you're an awful little flirt berksy said he suddenly from your point of view i suppose i am and she fanned herself to keep down her rising resentment every one says that you are remarked simon moore glancing at her beauty with cold eyes and of course you believe every one the majority have always been right since the world began said berksy with a touch of sarcasm adding quietly if i have ever been a flirt it has been unconsciously i don't talk love to men if they like me it is because i talk sense to them and most girls talk nonsense but of course if the world says that i am a flirt the world must be right is that why you call me fascinating you certainly are a fascinating little girl but you use your fascination oddly at times not to your liking queried berksy with a smile and pray what is wrong ask ormelie he is your best critic remarked simon coldly i will exclaimed berksy her eyes sparkling strangely simon moore and berksy were not exactly betrothed but it was understood that they were meant for one another and would some day marry the laird of castle moore treated it as a settled matter likewise berksy's relations but one never knows what a sensitive emotional girl will do or a silent passionate man will act on a given occasion 
Berksy and simon more thoroughly loved one another and as thoroughly misunderstood each other which sometimes does happen between different temperaments in this complex life the silence and coldness of simon moore were just as painful to berksy as her exuberance and enthusiasm were annoying to simon and both were scotchly proud do you think that ormelie mcalphin is my best critic queried berksy with a disdainful flash of her nut-brown eyes and why not rejoined simon in his matter-of-fact way why not indeed laughed berksy he has known me long enough simon shrugged his broad shoulders all's well that ends well said he <laughs> thanks curtly from berksy silence again berksy tapped her fan on her cheek and turned her head away to hide the tears which had come unbidden to her eyes while simon stole a glance at the lovely woman beside him and for the first time noticed the rowan berries in her auburn hair and trembling at her bosom i don't think you understand me little girl he said gently his thoughts flying back to the rowan tree by the cairn and the day they quarrelled there nor you me flashed berksy defiantly well if you understood me that began simon that would facilitate matters for you interrupted berksy yes certainly and how about me simon moore laughed in spite of himself men never understood women and least of all their women friends he answered humorously it is not necessary that may be a rule returned berksy biting her lip painfully but there are exceptions meaning yourself politely sarcastic from simon berksy ignored his remark and spying ormelie mcalphin across the room exclaimed with affected exuberance there is ormelie looking for me i suppose and welcome too flashed simon moore so suddenly that berksy was astonished thank you she returned icily and turning away to welcome ormelie with a gay smile she added her nut-brown eyes on fire you will live to regret your rudeness simon to which threat simon whose self-control had returned as quickly as his anger had burst out merely lifted his shoulders and departed but there was a dark storm in his heart despite his seeming calm and that was how ormelie mcalphin and berksy eventually became engaged and married one result of which change in her life was that simon moore left scotland for some years and no one heard of him or saw him during that time five years passed berksy was learning the sad lesson of the rebound of one's actions she was not married long before the full and bitter truth of life without love broke in upon her roughly cruelly it is true indeed that ormelie loved her beauty well but he cared not a whit for her otherwise he was satiated with his wealth and the luxurious pleasures it gave him love had no place in his life poor berksy no little child came into her life to soften the lonely hours of suffering even the cold silent poet had seemed to care for her more than ormelie did simon care she often wondered so berksy proudly isolated herself from the world around her and no one read the heart of the woman aright no simon never cared she was certain of that he had long since gone away to italy and doubtless his life was full of the pleasures he loved poetry and scenery that he had completely forgotten his little scotch friend of long ago and simon moore with his mother's strong religious vein he had joined a brotherhood in italy and signed the vows of celibacy a year after berksy's wedding 
his passionate poetic nature had found a certain vent in the ascetic life of the monastery of santo spirito and in the lovely scenery which environed it santo spirito with its background of stately sombre pines was built on the edge of a declivity below it sloped away the terraces of olive trees and beyond their soft grey-green spread the grape vines and the flower-sweet meadows pilgrims sought the monastery for the sake of the sacred waters which gushed in refreshing rills from a rock hidden among cypress trees the water tumbled in silvery clearness over the ledge and into a marble basin where pilgrims drank of it freely simon moore had sought a spot which would remind him in some way of his highland home from the monastery of santo spirito he could see the summits of the carrera range sometimes softened with clouds and ever-changing with the skies no lake spread its mirage of woods and heights in the valley like the outstretching lake embosomed among the hills but the river arno wound its way into the distance and vanished a ribbon of silvery light into the violet mist all through the warm months the air was fragrant of flowers flowers by the wayside among the tangled vines flowers staring the meadows in reckless luxuriance flowers clouding the orchards wreathing them in pink and white here simon moore suffered that is suffered at times strong silent natures like his have a fine power of throwing off their sorrows and burying them in forgetfulness for a while when such natures break out it is a barrier which has held back the sea for the time being the overthrow of their bulwarks is like the flooding of the land fra Simonetta could lose himself in the beauty of his environment or in the ecstasy of his creative power but sometimes at eventide would come the old longing for berksey when the monastery bells rang out thrilling through the darkening cloisters and chiming far into the val d'arno and over the hillsides echoing and re-echoing and dying in a melodious sigh the voices of the vesper bells they seemed to cry from his soul to berksey's the awakening to the dream he had lost fra salmonetta sorrowed in the twilight for the dawn which had passed for ever from him the next news which reached fra salmonetta was the death of ormelie mcalphin and then the marvellous success of berksey as an actress berksey with a resolution akin to fra Simonetta's, sought respite from her private sorrows by living through the joys and sorrows of others on the stage and the tragedy of her own lot gave her the splendid emotional power which was amazing the world of london berksey berksey a wonderful actress fra Simonetta could scarcely believe it the little girl berksey whom he had known with her coronal of auburn hair and her mischievous nut-brown eyes berksey with her ardent enthusiastic temperament berksey who chattered so who teased him so in the sweet long ago why yes he might have suspected it years ago yes had he been less in love with himself he might have known fra Simonetta begged leave of the fathers to go on a private mission to london to london what for to witness berksey at the zenith of her triumphs and what a night of dreams and wonders he stole from his vows to witness his beloved berksey berksey oh god never to speak to her again never to know her 
never to feel the wondrous thrill of her bright presence as in the long-ago sunny days never to tell her of his passionate devotion never silently fra simonetta stole out of the theatre he knew not the play it was only berksy berksy with her radiant auburn hair and great gazelle eyes appealing to him from the stage unknowing lonely hungry fra simonetta the italian blood which he had inherited from his religious mother fought against the celtic silent passion all the religion false it may be of his ancestors battled against the woman berksy and fra simonetta slipped away from london to the monastery of santo spirito to fight for months with his passionate love for berksy and conquer at last and berksy berksy lived on believing simon more a cold selfish man a man of supreme forgetfulness berksy never knew how bitter were the months fra simonetta lived through after his return from london to the monastery of santo spirito no she never knew the dull biting remorse that harrowed his days remorse that comes too late alas and she never knew of his passionate man-hunger for the woman of his heart but self-pride it was the old old story alas so berksy never knew of the renunciation of fra simonetta in the monastery of santo spirito in the belle d'arno far off in the land of italy years afterward when the glorious auburn hair was turning to silver and the rowan berries still nestled among its tangled curls berksy received a tiny gold cross delivered to her by a brother of the monastery of santo spirito on one side of it was the figure of the crucified christ on the other was chased a word berksy and an unfinished line of poetry here to the wrongs of fate have reconciled End section 10